All right, what's up, everybody in the room? Everybody tuning in, wherever you're coming in from. Ports Live locations, Ports Boise, Ports Indy, Ports Scottsdale, Tulsa, North Houston, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, wherever you are listening, Des Moines, wherever you are tuning in from, we are continuing this series on Ephesians and uh, looking at this book written by the Apostle Paul that lays out the Christian life and the new you. When I was in college at Texas A&M, which is apparently where everyone else was in college in here, I, uh, I had a chance to do track and field there. And while I was there, um, I just was introduced to this team that I would be a part of. And I, I like threw the javelin, which is the least impressive of any sport that exists. It's like you're throwing a spear and nobody does it, so there's no competition. So let's just get that out of the way. But point being, you would have your entire world was around this team. So where you would eat would be with all the other teammates that you would have and where you would sleep in the dorms that they would put you in would be with all the other uh, track teammates that were a part of your team. And it was a really interesting group because if you have seen a track and field team, you know that because of the different events that are involved, that you have a really diverse group of people. Like you have a guy who is like, you know, a hundred pounds soaking wet who runs the mile and he can just run with incredible speed. And then he would be sitting at the dinner table when we'd all be eating next to a 300 pound shot put thrower that looked like he'd eaten three of those guys. And then you would have this, this guy, I mean, there was a guy, most athletic person I've ever met in my life. His name was Tyler. He was a shot put thrower. The guys, this will mean something to you. Girls, you probably won't care. He ran a four five in the 40. He was six foot seven, 280 pounds. He was recruited by the U.S. bobsled team because he was so heavy and so fast. It was just unbelievable. And then you had next to him was this five, eight, a guy named Fabrice. How cool is that name? Fabrice. And he was a long jumper that was like 110 pounds, but he could just fly and ended up going to the Olympics for doing long jump. And you just had this group of people, each with very different gifts and everybody stayed in their lane. In other words, the 300 pound shot put thrower was not like, you know what? I think I'm going to go for the mile today. Let's give that a shot. He knew I'm here to throw a big metal rock as far as possible. And then the guy who was running the mile knew that his role was not to try to jump over something or throw something. It was to run the mile. And the only way that our team would be successful is by working together and by each playing our part based on the gifting and ability that we brought to the table. Now, what does that have to do with the book of Ephesians? Well, tonight we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter four, where the apostle Paul is going to say, if you want to experience and maximize all that God wants to do through your life, it's going to involve you working and being a part of something with others, just like a team requires teammates working together, and it's going to involve you contributing and playing your specific part, just like a team in track has to work together in order to be successful and each play their role and each work together. So it is with the body of Christ. And what Paul's going to lay out in these three ideas, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter four, is really the recipe for how people grow in their faith. 
In other words, if you have been growing and experiencing spiritual growth in your life, it's directly a result of what Paul's going to talk about here. And the flip side is also true. If you have been, maybe you trusted Christ in an early age and you've been around, but let's be honest, you've grown in years, but you haven't grown in your faith. And it's because of not applying and doing what Paul is going to write to the church in Ephesus. This simple truth is one that has the potential to change the course and trajectory of your life. It has the potential and will not just have the potential, it will shape the future you're going to have because it involves you being connected together. And just like a track athlete working with a team, the body of Christ is to be in relationship with one another and in particular ways in order to be everything that God wants for you and everything that God wants to do through your life. And so we're going to look in Ephesians chapter four, verse one through 16. I'm going to start. I'm going to read through it. If you just joined us, we've been walking through the church of this letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city in modern day Turkey. You could go there today. It's beautiful. It has the climate of LA. It was a very wealthy city. It had incredible blue water right in front of it. It was a place where people wanted to live, incredibly influential city. And Paul loved this city. And so he spent as much time in that city as almost any other church that he worked with. And he's sitting in a prison cell around 60 AD and he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And the first three chapters is just Paul going off about all that you have in Christ. In other words, he doesn't get to any and here's what you do for the first three chapters. He's just going before the foundation of the world, God had the gospel and you in mind and in Christ When you trusted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, what does that mean? When you trusted Jesus, you on the cross, you paid for all of my sin, past, present, future, and you came back alive showing that payment was enough. That's what it means to be a Christian. When that happened, and he just goes off for three beautiful, amazing chapters about all that God has done. And then in chapter four, he takes a turn and begins to go, so in light of that, here is now how you live out the Christian life. And he brings up the idea of walking. So the first three chapters are all about the wealth you have in Christ. The next two are about the walk we now live out in Christ. And we're going to look at that tonight. And I'm going to start in verse one of chapter four. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, therefore, in in light of all that God has done for you, in light of you being sealed for all of eternity, you are a new creation, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He sets up a big statement, says, in light of all that God has done for you, here's, I am urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received, the new life that you have. The Greek word worthy that he uses is a Greek word that would be used oftentimes for a weight on a scale. He's saying you should live in a way that proportionally is equal to the amazing things, the new life that you have been given in Christ. And I'm urging you to live in in light of or consistent with the amazing life that you have in Christ. So in other words, if your Christian life looks like this, God has done all these amazing things, but it has no impact on your life. He's saying you're not living in proportion to what God has done. And he's saying people should look at your life, in other words, and they see that, man, man, they're different. And if they find out it's because they're a Christian, they would go, oh, Well, that makes sense. That in other words, if people look at your life and they go, wait, they're a Christian? 
I, they don't look any different than anybody else. And Paul's saying, hey, you and I and this new life in Christ are to live in proportion and consistent with the new you. And then he lists out what that looks like. And where he goes is interesting because you would think, what's he going to say? Hey, live with the new you. Memorize the whole New Testament. Spend hours each day in prayer. Pick up everything and move to a foreign country and be a missionary. None of those are bad things, but it's not where he goes. He then turns to you all together, and he says this in verse 2. Here's how to live consistent and worthy with the calling you have in Christ. Live with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That Paul sets up this big statement, and I, in light of three chapters and all that God has done and the amazing work on the cross that has been accomplished, I am urging you to live in light of all of that. And then he brings up by getting along. I mean, it's this big statement followed by, I want you to bear with one another. And it literally is a translation for to get along with one another, to put up with each other. Why would that be so important? Because Paul knew that his day was much like our day, that often Christians and humanity in general is not known for getting along and for being united and for being for one another and we can disagree, but I still love you, that we live in a world that, man, if you cross me, then we're done or this is over or you hurt me and I'm out. And he's saying, I want you to be diligent to fight for unity of spirit. And then he brings up all the different ways that you and I are to be one, just as God is one. He says, there's one body and one spirit is in the Holy Spirit. You were called one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who's over all and through all and in all. He's saying, I am urging you to fight for unity. The first idea Paul brings up is if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be all that God wants you to be, it involves you and other believers in your life together and specifically fighting for unity together. And when somebody hurts you, you don't run from it. You bear with them and you seek to forgive them and you seek to fight to move towards one another. Just like God in Christ, despite our sin against him, moved towards us. And now as Christians, Paul says, hey, you and I are to move towards one another. And he uses the word be diligent as in work hard at it. It should be a constant thing that you and your relationships and me and my relationships. How do you know if you're experiencing the will of God? You ready? Here's one of the ways. How do you know if you're living in line with the spirit of God? If you're a Christian, you have the spirit of God. How do you know if you're living in line with it? The spirit of God is always moving towards unity. If you are moving away from unity and towards division, you're living in light of a spirit, but it's not the spirit of God. He says that as believers, I am calling you now to fight for unity and to be diligent as in it's going to take work. You know what the reality, we talk about community groups here all the time, how you've got to get connected and you've got to have other believers in your life. If you haven't taken that step, let me remove a mystery for you. The day that you take that step, you're going to step more towards what God's design for relationships and transformation, but you're also going to take a step, you ready? For headaches and frustrations and things that rub you the wrong way or don't always go perfectly how you would. You know why? Because you're, rub you're moving in the direction of other people. And you know what people have in common? They're all messed up. 
just like you. And so the reason, I don't know, a community group at Watermark, and I've been one eight years, amazing. And there's times where you're just going to have conflict. And Paul's saying, hey, you have got to fight. There's no varsity level you reach as a Christian where, hey, you no longer have to fight to be unified. It just comes easy. That doesn't happen. And Paul says, for the rest of your life, you're going to have to fight to be united. Fight for unity. It's like this. Every summer, the same thing happens in my front lawn. Weeds will grow up, and I'll have to go out there, and I'll have to pick them out. And then the next summer will come. And you know what happens again? Weeds will come up in my lawn. You know what didn't happen in between those two occasions where I removed them and the next summer came and they were back again? I didn't go out in my front yard and get a bunch of weed seed and be like, you know, here, put some over here and put some over here. They just popped up because it's a byproduct of having a lawn. It comes with the territory. And a byproduct of working with people is that there's gonna be conflicts and offenses and hurts. And as believers, we're not naive pretending that doesn't happen. We fight for unity because we know it will happen. It comes with the territory. And candidly, let me just bring you into my world. This is something that, like, when I say it never goes away, I mean it never goes away for myself, very much included. I mean, I had to move different meetings today because of hurts that I had caused with somebody on my team that was not intentional, but was still a miss completely for me. Had to move into conversations where I negatively interpreted something and had to say, man, hey, here's the things that I am thinking about that situation. It doesn't go away. And I can either choose to sit on that, pretend it, stuff it, act like it's, you know, everything's fine, or I can peace fake, or I can peace make by running towards that situation. And that looks like me asking for forgiveness for ways that I've offended, not just today, anytime. And vice versa, and fighting for unity, not uniformity. You can disagree, like we can debate as Christians, but we are not to be divided. I mean, this is a message that especially right now with elections, just the craziness of the world, that we as Christians are called, as much as anything else, anybody else, we don't cancel people. We fight for people, because we fight for unity. And how do you know if you're living in God's will, if you are living in relationship with other people where you are fighting for unity, not to be right, not to win, but to be united? And Paul says, if you want to experience what God's design and purpose and call for your life, it's going to involve you living in that way together. Later in the same chapter, he says this, in your anger, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. The rest of the verse is, do not give the devil a foothold inside of your life, that you and I are to fight to keep short accounts. The point of the verse is not, hey, if you're angry and you go to bed, you're in sin. He's saying, no, you should move quickly when somebody's hurt you towards that person, especially if they're a brother and sister in Christ. We did an entire message on this in antisuppressants a couple months ago, so I'm not going to go at length here, but the scriptures give us a real clear path to fight for unity. The Matthew 18 uh, passage that Jesus teaches on forgiving gives the clearest instruction where he says, hey, if your brother sins against you, you go to him in private. So they sin, they hurt you, they do something, you go to them in private. If they don't listen, then you go to them with someone else. If they still don't listen, then you widen the circle only as is necessary, not for the purpose of 
shaming them or paying them back, but moving them back into relationship, to being reconciled with other believers. That we only talk to people who are a part of the problem or a part of the solution. In other words, man, if somebody in your life has frustrated you, you are not fighting for unity if you just put them on blast on social media. If somebody in your life has offended you, maybe this is a more common way. You're not fighting for unity if when you go to your community group or your small group or your church group and underneath the banner of prayer requests, you talk gossip, which is incredibly common of going, hey guys, yeah, hard week. I think we should all pray for Stephanie. I mean, clearly there's something wrong with her. She's back with that guy and we could really use prayer. Or Kyle, I mean, we should pray for him. His heart, did you see the car? I think he's leasing that car. Clearly materialistic. We need to just cover him in prayer. It's gossip. And it's not fighting for unity. And the scripture commands that it's not an option. If there is someone in your life right now that has hurt you, that is a believer, listen to me. You are commanded to move towards that person, to fight for unity with them. If they've hurt you, maybe if you just feel like, man, they're just off and you guys just got beef. Like, can't at least some of y'all come down front and I can like sense the tension between you and it's like, I, I, there's something wrong with y'all. Like, y'all, have y'all ever talked about this? And you're like, yeah, well, uh, can we talk in private for a second? And then they bring it up and there's all these hurts that they may even be willing to share just with me but they haven't shared them with that person. And that's not consistent with the faith that you have. So Paul says, hey, if you wanna live out your calling, it involves living with other people in relationship and moving towards that person. Jesus is, one of the last prayers he prayed was, Father, I pray for the unity among your people. I pray that they would be united and there is an enemy who hates this. He wants to do everything he can right now to tell you why you are justified in your hurt. And it's their fault. They need to be the one who's moving towards you, not you towards them. You've already done enough. They've hurt you. He wants you to stay there. You know that, right? So when you hear that voice going off or you hear it's not that big of a deal or man, I'm just going to turn to the other side and you dismiss the ability to step towards unity, you are not listening to the spirit of God. And there's an enemy. He wants his offense. Satan's offense is division. He wants to destroy your community groups, your relationships, your family relationships. He wants to do everything he can to box you into that hurt and box you into how it's all their problems rather than saying, I am going to treat them not how they treated me, but how God in Christ treated me and move towards them. Second thing Paul goes into also involves working together with other people. He says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned or distributed it. This is why it says, and he quotes a psalm, when Jesus ascended on high, he set captives free or took many captives, and he gave gifts to people. That God in Christ, when you became a believer, he gave spiritual gifts. So Christ gave himself, and he lists out various gifts. He gave apostles. Those are the ones who wrote the New Testament. Then he gave people who spoke prophetically or brought forth truth, evangelists, the gift of evangelism, pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service, that God gave out spiritual gifts so that the body of Christ, verse 12, may be built up. Second thing that Paul says, if you want to live out your calling, it's going to involve using the spiritual gifts God has given you. So it involves fighting for unity and fulfilling your gifting. That you are going to live and serve with the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Because here's the truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, 
First Peter chapter four, Ephesians chapter four, it says, God, when you became a believer, spiritual gifts were given to you. And it lists out, they're all throughout the scriptures. You can go to watermark.org, type in spiritual gift tests, and you can take a test that will tell you some of the spiritual gifts that you have. In addition to taking one of those tests, you've got to use that gift. And when you do, you begin to see, man, this, this, it's like you come alive when you do that. Maybe you have the gift of evangelism and just sharing your faith. It just like, it, you come alive and it just comes easier than other people. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. And for you, you serve and you lead a small group of high school, junior high students. And it's like something just on the inside, it just comes alive. Or you have the gift of leadership. That's another one of the gifts in Romans 12 is mentioned. And people are around you and they just affirm, they're like, you've always been a leader. You've always been a leader or the gift of administration, like details and administering and putting on things. It, it just comes naturally to you in ways that is foreign to so many of us. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that when you became a believer, God entrusted you with spiritual gifts that he gave to build his church. Do you know your gifts? Are you using your gifts? At Christmas time, we'll have different family that lives out of state and they'll mail presents for my kids and I'll get a big box that will arrive and inside of the box will be different presents that are to be opened up Christmas morning for my kids. So my six-year-old, you'll get like a Nerf gun or my daughter, some like pony princess and our eight-month-old, just he's just happy to be here. But they'll get these different gifts and... Um, they're given with the intention, not of me keeping them, but of giving them to my kids. And just like it would be messed up and weird, and you would think I'm a bad father if the gifts that I got given, I didn't actually pass on to them. I just kept them, you know, I really like Nerf guns and I've always wanted a pony and so I'm keeping all these for me. You'd go, man, that's really messed up. God is saying, I gave you spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the church, not building out your resume, not building your business, not building some future preferred destination of what life will look like someday. None of which are bad things, but if they come at the exclusion of you using the spiritual gifts that God said, I gave those gifts, not for you, but to be passed through you. And if you wanna experience your calling, it involves fulfilling your gifting. God made you unique. You have a unique story, a unique wiring, and a unique skill sets that I don't have. And he's saying, hey, are you going to use those to be gifts that I'm giving not to you, but through you? Because that's what spiritual gifts are for, for the building up of the church. There are so many leaders, candidly, we are spoiled at the porch with the amazing men and women that Josiah and Kendall lead every single week, the 200 men and women who put on the porch, the porch leaders, that I see this firsthand in the way that they live. And the stories, I could go on for hours of just men and women, you know what they've, they've got a vision for? And it doesn't have to be here, it can be in any different arena, in lots of ministries in the city, in lots of places, and lots of opportunities here every week, but it's just men and women who've caught a vision for I believe the Bible is true. Jesus is real. He's coming back. Eternity is long. Hell is real. And I want to use my gifts and the way God has made me for the short window called life that I have. And they week after week and they see those gifts just come alive. I think of my friend Ryan. We, we do this three-day in-town mission trip called Unashamed. And it's birthed out of basically 
a passion and a gift of evangelism. And he said, man, I want to see young adults learn how to share their faith. And so we started doing these three-day in-town mission trips where we train them on how to go share their faith. And then we'd partner with local ministries inside of Dallas where there is desperate need for people to come and just paint houses and mow lawns of widows and care for people in socioeconomically disadvantaged areas. And to be a light in a city that is full of darkness, just like every city that's tuning in right now is full of darkness. And God has you where he does for you to use your gifts and to serve him. And frankly, I hope every one of you emails southdallas at watermark.org. If you're listening online, you missed that announcement, but there's an opportunity October 30th from 1 to 7 p.m. for you to use your gifts and just serve and care for some of the least of these. Or you can watch the Cowboys probably lose. (laughs) And I hope they win. I got Dak on my fantasy football team, which is not a great thing right now. But point is, what are you going to do? It's a one time a year thing. If we don't have that thing filled, Marvin, I'm embarrassed if we don't have that thing filled. Out of 3,000 people, we can't fill out 200? And whether it's that weekend or in general, are you using your gifts Because the truth is, part of the spiritual life is, man, if you only breathe in and you never breathe out, something happens. You die. And if you only take in and you come here and you consume every single week, but you never contribute, your spiritual life is not growing. It's dying. There's an old Oklahoma football coach who coached the Sooners, and he, he was describing what football is, and he said, Football is a game played by 22 men on the field, desperately in need of rest, being watched by 50,000 people in the stands, desperately in need of exercise. And there's so few doing so much while so many just watch. And what a tragic thing that in the church, that's often the case. There are so few doing so much while so many just watch. And the reason it's tragic is not for the the so many because the so few need them. It's because the so many who are not using their gifts and they show up and they consume, they are missing out on seeing God use their life, on investing in something that actually matters. Maybe for you, you consider serving and you join those 200 volunteers and we will train you on how to share the gospel, how to engage inside of our city, And you sign up and go to the Porch app, like our app on the App Store, online, on your phone. There's an application. You can go sign up and be a part of that and go through 10 weeks led by some amazing men and women. I don't know where it is. I do know that God has said, you have got to use the gifts he has entrusted to you if you want to grow, if you want to mature. And if not, you're not growing. You're not thriving. Your spiritual life is stagnant or dying. Finally, he says, when we do this and we fight for unity together and then we seek to use the God-given gifts that he's given you, something begins to happen until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge in the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure or the fullness of Christ. So then, we will no longer be infants. Hey, when we're fighting for unity relationally together, when we're serving and existing connected to a body, when we're serving with our gifts, then we are no longer infants. We grow up, we mature. 
We're no longer infants tossed to and fro by the waves, blown here and there with every wind of teaching. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become, in every respect, mature. A mature body of Christ. Of him that is the head, that is Christ. That Paul says, hey, when you begin to do this, maturity begins to happen and you begin to grow and your spiritual life begins to grow. When you're connected with other people, the f- third idea after walking through it, man, we fight for unity. We fulfill your gifting. If you want to live out your calling, it also involves you forging real community. You cannot grow and you will not grow. You will not have maturity without community. What's community? It's our word to describe authentic relationships. So you call it whatever you want to, but a small group, if you're a Christian of men, if you're a man, of women, if you're a woman who know you, they know where you're struggling, they come alongside and they pray for you, they support you when you go through hard times, they're financially caring for you, maybe you're in a rough position and they come alongside and they are God's provision and protection in your life. And if you want to live out and experience your calling, it involves forging your community or forging godly community. Why do I say forging? Because there's a myth that, man, if I just could find the right group, then everything would be easy and the hills are alive with the sound of music. And that's not true. Every group is going to take work and fighting for unity and forming relationships. This is why we hammer the importance of being a member of a church. Because if you want to grow, and this is the reason, man, Some of you guys, you trusted Christ at like a church camp 14 years ago, seven years ago, three years ago. You came to faith and grew up in a Christian home and you've grown 10 years older, but your faith has not grown at all. And the reason is because you have not gotten connected to the body. And the verses we just read said, this is, it's in connection to the body that you and I grow, mature. This is the reason why your faith has not grown. Because you have not got connected and been a part of the body of Christ. My son, uh, his name's Bear, he's eight months old, and this past week was a big week for him. Here he is, hanging out at the house, learned to crawl, and uh, that's one of the pictures of it. And it was a big moment when your eight-month-old begins to crawl. It's, it's honestly kind of got pluses and minuses because prior to that, you could just set him down and you could go somewhere and you knew exactly where he's going to be. And now he's mobile. And so he is able to move and rock around and swallow things like his sister's little car there. And it just creates a new challenge. But when you're eight months old, that's awesome. You're, you're learning to crawl. How weird and creepy would it be if he was eight years old and all he did was crawl. I mean, it's a silly illustration, but think about it. You show up, you see an, you see an eight-month-old crawling, you're like, oh, all of you just did it. You were like, oh. You see an eight-year-old crawling? There's something wrong. Because you're going, what? You haven't learned to walk? And yet, spiritually, that's the case for a lot of people. Like, you've been, you've been a spiritual infant And I'm not mad at you. I have nothing invested in seeing anything but you experience more of God's love, goodness, protection, freedom. But you've been a spiritual infant for 10 years. You're still a spiritual toddler in diapers. 
And you haven't grown, and the reason why is because you're not connected to other believers. You've been church hopping for the last three years, and you still think like, oh, we just moved to Dallas. You've been church hopping and church dating in different cities around the country underneath the banner of, man, I'm still checking it out, and I go here on Sundays, and I go here on Tuesdays. And as long as you do that, let me tell you what Paul says, you're delaying. As long as you decide, man, someday I'm not ready, I'm going to, I'm still looking. As long as you're still looking, you are still delaying, you maturing in your faith. Because Paul says it is by being connected to other believers, serving and using your gifts, that your faith grows and that you personally grow. This is why the language of, man, I love Jesus, I don't like the church, is so foolish. Because one, Jesus would say, the church is the bride of Christ. I love the church, Jesus would say, so much I died for her. And you think about even that idea of what fiance would be okay with you insulting his bride like that? I mean, that, that's exactly what you're saying. If you're like, hey, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. That's like going up to a guy and be like, look, bro, I like you, it's your girl. Got a big problem with her. It'd be like, what? Who's okay with that? Who's like, <laughs> yeah, me too, man. It's the best, bro. Let's go. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, man, that is dysfunctional. Jesus says, I love my bride so much I died for her. And there is clear or I'm confident church hurt that is represented in this room. But that's not an excuse for you to say, because of that hurt, and I bet it was real, and I'm sorry that it happened, for you to say, I'm going to continue to not mature, and I'm not going to grow in my faith. I'll stay a spiritual toddler when he's saying, this is the means by which you grow. And let me just press a little bit further. If you are dating someone and they're not connected to a church, that's concerning. And there may be a whole story, I'm sure, but here's another way of saying it. If you're dating somebody and they still are dating churches and they've been dating and they've been dating for like 18 months, they're still, if they are dating churches for that long of amount of time, they probably shouldn't be dating you because they're not connected. They've already shown, man, I really don't make commitments. And the Bible commands, I am to be under the authority of elders, connected to a church that comes along, not to control me, to care for me, to be a place where I can pour out and use my gifts and make an impact in the places where God has us. And they're saying, no. And you're basically saying, I will continue to date someone who is telling God, I'm putting growing personally and maturing in my faith on hold. That's at least concerning, and it's definitely confusing. And so are you connected to a church, plugged in? Doesn't have to be this one. Say all the time, we're not interested in stealing Christians. We want you to experience what God has for you and go deeper into a church, to be connected with other people. And when that's not happening, you are missing out on growing in Christ. So in conclusion, as believers, to live out our calling, it involves fighting for unity. It involves fulfilling our gifting. God gave you gifts to use and not sit on the sidelines. And then forge community to fight for it. I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to introduce you guys to some people that I did something similar at Awaken. But I want you guys to introduce, especially those of you who are online, some of the most gifted, fun, godly people that... I get to work with every single week and Hayden and the band that are coming out here. So let me introduce some of these guys and they'll help illustrate something. This is Hayden Browning. You guys know Hayden every week leads us in worship. Put it up, Hayden. 
Jesse over here on the drums, Esteban playing bass, Wellington at guitar, Jake at guitar, my boy Adam Prince over here. Every week, you know what they do? Yeah, you can get excited. Every week, if you're in Ports Live, you probably haven't met these guys. They lead us every single week in worship. And you know what each of them have in common? They each have a different instrument and they each bring something different to the table. And when they bring those gifts and they bring what their sound makes, they make beautiful songs. And together, they're gonna show us what that even looks like. So they come together, they're playing, what is this? Build My Life? You're going, build my, oh, we got Build My Life. Here we go, Build My Life. They come together, you got drums beating over here, keys coming in, you got guitars, they're each playing their different instruments, they're all playing in key together, all in concert. And when all of them play together, the potential that they have individually is overshadowed by the way that they all come together. And the one of them, if just Esteban was playing, everybody stop at Esteban. Stop playing. It's the most pathetic thing I've ever heard. But whenever you bring all of them together, it makes beautiful noise, beautiful songs. Y'all can play again. But when all of them use their gifts and they say, hey, I wasn't made to be a guitar. I was made to be a drummer. And I wasn't made to play the keys. I was made to be a guitarist. When they use their gifts and say, hey, I'm going to be a part of this, they reach a greater potential together. What else happens is when all of a sudden, you know, a couple of them stop playing, just you three stop playing and y'all three keep playing. Without collectively all working together and all playing the song, the potential that could have been is diminished. And when you take your life and you say, man, I'm just going to go and I'm going to work on, you know, building my Etsy page and my corporate America job and working for the weekend, you diminish the potential of what God wants to do in your life and wants to do through the church in your lifetime. And the chance to be a part of that is only connected or is directly connected to you getting in the game and playing with them. But when all of them begin to play together and they play in the right key and they play the right chord, it brings and all of a sudden something that was just so ordinary, isolated, is beautiful, purposeful, and impactful. And I hope you hear tonight, God wants to use your life and you have eternal impact opportunities around you all the time. And the short amount of life that you have, and it feels long, and when you're 25, you feel invincible. And the truth of the scripture says, man, life, it's like a vapor. It's like when you're cold and you breathe out in the air outside and there's the air there and then it's gone. That's what the Bible says. Your life is, how are you using it? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? fighting for relationship and community with other people and building community that's leading to maturity because if that's what you're doing keep going and you are walking worthy of the calling that God has laid on your life let me pray father I pray that you would move us to be on mission You'd move us to live more surrendered to you. You'd use our life to make eternal impacts. Would you help us to fight for unity and for oneness and against hurts and offenses and just all the different things that happen to all of us all the time. And would your spirit just move us to serve you by serving others and building your church and being connected to your people and experiencing growth. We worship you now in song, amen.